Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Our hometown is a foundation, whether we want to return to it, whether we have fond memories, or whether we want to be as far away from it as possible, it still formed us. And our name, that is one of the most important parts of who we are. But we will hear that both may not be what we think they are. You're listening to Where Are You From? What's Your Name? by Reverend Peter Yonker. So we're here to worship our Lord, and, and tonight's service, uh, it comes in two parts. And it centers around two really central and important questions that we all have to answer, and questions that ideally we should have to sort out, we should have answered by the time we're done with kindergarten, and that is, where are you from, and what's your name? These are deceptively easy questions, and sometimes when we have them answered in kindergarten, uh, we lose track of them in adulthood. So we'll look at those questions one at a time, starting with, where are you from? And to answer that, we'll begin by reading Psalm 87. Let us read Psalm 87 together, a psalm about where we're from. The Lord has founded his city on his holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia and Tyre too, along with Cush. I will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. The Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. This is the word of the Lord. So where are you from? Where you come from? What's your hometown? That's a pretty important question. I think all of us, um, as we come out of childhood and get into adulthood, we realize that the place that we're from has an enormous effect on us. I think especially the place where we lived when we were five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. The rhythms of the place, the customs of the place have enormous formative power. Where are you from is a really important question. And it's the power of that question that drove the popularity in the 90s and the 2000s of Gerson Keillor's stuff. Lake Wobegon stories. Garrison Keillor wrote all these make-believe stories of Lake Wobegon, this fictional Minnesota town that he said he was from. And it had enormous resonance with people because they were hometown stories and they celebrated how your hometown affects you and shapes you. One of his stories shows that particularly. It's the story of Johnny Tollefson. Johnny Tollefson was finishing high school and going into college. He'd grown up in Lake Wobegon. He did not like his hometown. It was too backwards. It was too small. He did not want to live there. He could not wait to get out of that place. And when he was going to leave and go to high school, he was going to become sophisticated. He was going to go to someplace urbane. He read books that were sophisticated, books about this family called the Flambeau family, whose children were allowed to call their parents by their first names. And he just thought that was great. So he registered at St. Cloud State University. And he couldn't wait to get out of Lake Wobegon and go to St. Cloud and live the university life. 
And his mom was going to take him, but unbeknownst to poor Johnny, mom didn't just take Johnny by himself, but invited some people, some family members to go along. His uh, widower uncle, his spinster aunt, and his grandma were all going to accompany him and see him off at St. Cloud. And Johnny was mortified to be seen on campus with these backwards people. The tribe up there is, was excruciating for him. His, his uncle, who was barely in touch with reality, was the kind of person that if you asked him for the time, he would tell you his life story. Spent an entire hour of the trip talking about the virtues of the ballpoint pen. His grandma posed a different set of problems. She was deathly afraid of drafts, so she insisted that the windows be kept up all time, even though they didn't have any air conditioning and it was 87 degrees outside. His aunt was a motor mouth who just sort of stream of consciousness talked, and as they drove down the highway, she commented on everything she said. She read every road sign from Lake Wobegon to St. Cloud out loud. So when they finally get to the university, Johnny cannot wait to get out of the car, and he just wants to get out of the car, and he just hopes no one sees his family. But unfortunately, his mom... Right? He's in the middle of campus, and he looks around and he sees all these cool kids, these sophisticated kids, wearing backpacks. Please don't let them see my family. And then his mom drives the wrong way down a one-way street, right in the middle of campus. And there's an uproar, and everybody honks, and everybody sees him. And he decides right there, I'm never going back to my hometown. I'm never going back. Years later, he does become a sophisticated person. He runs a public radio station in New, in New England, and he throws parties, and he, they sip wine, and they talk about highfalutin things. But as he comes into middle age, he realizes something's missing. Something feels wrong. And so he goes back to Lake Wobegon for a visit, and he decides to stay. And he realizes that some of the things he scorned in his life at the beginning were actually the things that made him who he was. He learns you can get the boy out of Lake Wobegon, but you can't get the Lake Wobegon out of the boy. I mentioned Lake Wobegon and the power of the hometown because Psalm 87 is a hometown psalm. Psalm 87 is a psalm about your hometown but not the hometown that you think of, not Kingston, Ontario, or Borculo, or Zealand, or Drenthe, or Grand Rapids, or wherever it is that you're from. This is a hometown that all of us share, every single one of us share, whether we're a Canadian transplant, a U.S. citizen, a Dutch immigrant, no matter who we are, this place is our hometown. And I'm talking, of course, about Jerusalem, Zion, the city of God. Psalm 87 says, that is your hometown. It's a little strange thing to say. Psalm 87 begins, normally enough, begins with a celebration of Zion as a great city. There's actually quite a number of psalms that celebrate what a great city Zion is and how much God loves her. But then it changes and it says, it mentions all these people, the Babylonians and the people from Cush and the Philistines and people from Tyre. And it says that this, that Zion is their home too, but not just their home, their hometown, the place where they were born. Three times he says it, right? They were born in that place. 
Their name is registered on the deed of registers. The clerk in Jerusalem has their name in his files. This one is born in Zion. In some strange way, Jerusalem is your hometown. Now, Jerusalem is my hometown. How can that be? For me personally, never been there. Never visited. How in heaven's name can Jerusalem be my hometown? A couple of clarifications here. When we call Jerusalem our hometown, we're not talking about the present-day city, the city with all the tensions between the Jews and the Palestinians. That's not the city we're talking about. We're talking about the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the city where Jesus, our brother, reigns, the city where there is peace and no more tears. That is your hometown city. You may never have been there, but that new Jerusalem is the most formative place in your life. You may never have been there, but from the future... That city is forming you and calling you and pushing you. You may never have been there, but on the day you finally enter it, you will well and truly know that you are home. All this reminds me of monarch butterflies. I don't know, some of you probably know this, but monarch butterflies are migratory butterflies, and every fall, starting to happen soon, they hatch in Michigan amongst the milkweed. My wife and other kindergarten teachers often have monarch butterfly projects for their kids where they watch the cocoons grow and the monarchs hatch, and then they release the butterflies, and the teachers all say, the kindergarten teachers all say, this butterfly is going to fly all the way down to Mexico, and that's where all the butterflies go. They always go to the same place. And they do. They always return to the same ancestral place. But of course, the amazing thing about these butterflies is somehow they go back to that place, and they've never been there. They know where to go. They're born in Michigan. Their grandparents or their great-grandparents came up from Mexico to Michigan. They've never been there, but somehow inside of them, they know that that is their true home. We're all a little bit like that. That restlessness we have inside ourselves. That longing for things to be at peace that is never quite satisfied. That is the ache that Christ has put in us, the longing for our true home, the new Jerusalem. Our second question is, uh, what's your name? And I only have one verse listed in as a, a sort of a text for my meditation, and that verse 17, Revelation 2, verse 17, will indeed be the focus of my words. But it's part of the, uh, the letter that the Lord sends to the church in Pergamum in the book of Revelation. So I'm going to read that whole letter, starting at verse 12 of Revelation 2. To the angel of the church of Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even, the day of, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold it to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. And likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And now the text. Whoever has ears, 
Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. So what's your name? I think you just heard that Revelation 2 is a really interesting answer or potential answer to that question. Just like our true home is a place we've never been, Revelation 2 at least suggests, 2.17 suggests that our true name is a name that we've never heard. Revelation 2 suggests that for those who persevere in the faith, who stick to the true way right through to the end, who are faithful to Jesus, to them Jesus will give a white stone with a new name on it, a name only known to Christ and the one who receives it. Now, what on earth does that mean? Now, Roman times, a white stone, this is what scholars say at least, was used sometimes as a token of admission. So you could get into an event and they would send you a white stone and that white stone with something written on it would be like your token, sort of maybe like a wedding invitation that you would bring that would, would allow you admittance. So this, is, this stone with a name on it is something that gives you admittance, only the name on the stone is not your name. It's not Peter, it's not Mary, it's not Joe, it's not whatever your name is. It's this new name given to you by God. I learned relatively recently that this text is a basis for an ancient Christian belief. And um, there were Christians who believed that God has a special name for each of us. So for each of us, in addition to the name you have, God has a special name for you. Maybe a little bit like a pet name, right? For my daughters, I, I have a pet name, something I call them. My, my daughter Kat is Wump, and my daughter Abby is, is Blab. And I'm not going to elaborate on why I call them those things. And you probably have pet names for some of the people you love in your life, okay? Um, and, and, and when you call them that, that's a very special, it shows a special connection. So this, this, this name that is known only to the one who gives it, Maybe there's a little bit of that in it, that sort of, that sort of uh, that special affection that a parent has for someone that they really, really love. But it's more than that. It feels like more than that. It's not just affection. It is a sense that in this name is God's purpose for you, the fullness of who he intends you to be, that this name somehow carries in it your true self. And if that sounds crazy or made up, just think about Scripture. There are other passages which support this notion. God changes Simon's name to Peter, right? To Rock. But when he gives him that name, that's not who Peter is. Peter is not a rock when he receives the name Rock. He's far from a rock. He's wishy-washy. He will go through all sorts of things. Eventually, he will become that. But when he receives it, he is not yet that person. Although that name embodies God's true intention for him. Same thing with Abraham. Abram was Abram and he became Abraham, the father of many. And yet when he received that name, how many kids did he have? Zero. He had not yet embodied God's attention for him, but that name told him his true self, even though he did himself had not discovered that self. He himself did not know that self. And in Isaiah 62... Prophet Isaiah talks about how when Israel returns to Zion, it will receive a new name. 
We will call you Beulah. You will receive the name Beulah. Do you remember that? You will receive the name Beulah. Beulah means married or blessed. When Israel, when, when, when God says this through Isaiah, Israel is not married or blessed. Israel is in exile. But a name of married and blessed embodies God's full intention. So do you and I, do we have a name God has for us, a pet name that embodies his full intention for us? I don't know. There's no way of knowing for sure, but I would like to think that this is true. I would like to think that when I finally cross the river and find myself in the presence of God, he will speak that name, and that name will be both full of love as a father to his son, and that name, when I hear it, will tell me exactly who I am meant to be. When I hear that name, I will say, yes, that is me. That is who I've been trying to be my whole life, and at last I finally see it. I said at the beginning of this, this message that um, if you're in kindergarten, you should be able to answer these questions. That, that was a little bit hyperbolic because actually these questions are far harder, especially what's your name and who are you. That is a hard question. We spend our whole life trying to figure that out. I remember when I was at my previous church, Woodlawn, I went to a birthday party for a 90-year-old man. His name was John. I won't say more than that. And we had a good time. We celebrated John's life. And afterwards, John gave a little speech. And in his speech, he said, you know, I, I, I thank you for all coming, but I know I've let a lot of you down. I'm not the person I, I want to be. I know I've got a lot of work to do. And I promise as I go forward from this day, I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm, I'm going I'm to follow God more regularly. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, you're 90 years old, man. Give yourself a break. A 90-year-old man who still feels so restless, who still feels like, I don't know who I am yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. Is that who I'm going to be if the Lord gives me 90 years? I was much younger when I was at that party. I'm 56 now. And I'm quite sure that if the Lord gives me 90 years, that is exactly who I will be. I will be the same way, and so will you. But it's okay. Because the Lord knows our name. And the Lord knows where we are from. And someday when we enter into that place, we will hear him speak it. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.